guys, this is Pastor Jacob. I am the pastor of King's Cross Church here in Manchester, New Hampshire. And today on Striving Together, I'm going to be doing an interview with Paul Buckley. He is the pastor of King of Grace Church in Haverhill, Mass. Um, he serves not only there on the eldership as the lead pastor for King of Grace, but he also serves for Sovereign Grace Churches on the executive committee. Uh, and then most recently, he actually uh, was appointed to serve as the executive director for the Gospel Coalition of New England. Um, but more importantly for you and me, uh, Paul is not only a good friend of mine, but he serves our church by uh, being a provisional elder, so he helps kind of make decisions uh, for King's Cross, and he is a part of, you'll hear this in our interview, he is a part of uh, the beginning of our church plant because he was the one, uh, their church was the one that sent us out. Uh, but today, uh, Paul and I are going to be talking about this category of leadership. Uh, this uh, is a critical question or a critical issue, and it might seem a bit boring or a bit opaque, but it's actually really important for us uh, to talk about what is the nature of leadership in the life of the church. Um, how leaders think about what they're doing in their leadership is critical, uh, and it's often unevaluated or uh, presumed to have biblical warrant, but it's important to think through, what does it mean to lead uh, for me as a pastor and for us as Christians? What does that look like? Uh, and then not only what does that mean for us at the local level, but then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what does leadership mean in a denominational level? What does it mean for us in Sovereign Grace to value leadership, and we're going to talk a little bit about that history of what uh, the category of leadership and the life it's had within Sovereign Grace, and then we're going to talk about how does the BCO, our Book of Church Order, uh, give us clarity for thinking about what does it mean to be a partnership of churches, be churches partnered together, and lead within that context, because it's very different. Um, it's different at the denominational level than it is at the local level, um, but it's all this category of leadership. And so uh, I hope that as you hear this conversation between me and Paul, uh, what you hear is us working through what does it mean to lead uh, as pastors, but then what does that look like for us to lead in a, a denomination joining Jesus' mission? This is not just some sort of organizational thing where we get to talk about it and it's kind of ethereal. No, this is this is critical for us understanding what does it mean for one church in Sovereign Grace to partner with the next church in Sovereign Grace to join what Jesus is doing and to be better together in joining in what Jesus is doing. So it's not just kind of a, a classroom discussion. This is real time and it's important for us as a denomination to figure this out now and it affects what we do and how we think about what we're doing, how we lead where we're going into the future. So I hope you find this conversation helpful, and I hope that you uh, grow along with us in our understanding of what leadership means. So, Paul, thank you for your time to get together and talk through this stuff. What we want to do this morning or this afternoon, I think in the morning mostly because I'm used to saying hi to people in the morning in yeah. church, but uh, what we want to do is we want to talk through the category of leadership and then missional stuff if we have the time. But the great thing about King's Cross is at this point, you actually probably don't know most of the people in the church and most of the people don't know who you are, which is a little weird because it would mm -hmm. be like um, the people of the ch uh, of a family, the kids of the family not knowing who the grandfather is, you know? And so, uh, so explain who you are and why you 
are talking to the folks of King's Cross, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Well, first I want to know why you use the grandfather it's metaphor. It's but, but we'll just pass that by for now. Um, so, yeah, we I are. could use great-grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, older brother might be good, but grandfather. Uh, yeah, well, we are excited. I'm personally excited about King's Cross and all that God's doing in the church. And um, so I pastor King of Grace Church, and we planted King of Grace in 2002. And we came um, up from uh, Covenant Fellowship and um, Chesapeake Community Church at the time, now Sovereign Grace Church of Maryland. And uh, that was our home church, but this is our home. Uh, my wife's family is actually, her mother's side is from Manchester. And uh, she grew up in Haverhill. I grew up more uh, closer to Boston and, Bo and lived around Boston. Um, so coming back in 2002 to plant was a dream come true. Uh, we had to pinch ourselves to, to realize that we actually were here getting to not only be back, but to plant a church. And our, uh, from the get-go, our desire was to be a church planting church. And that um, was a dream we had. And um, boy, there's a lot of ups and downs that we went through. The Lord was faithful. Um, our church uh, got to the place where we grew and, and we're starting to be a place where we could be a training ground for planters. So um, <clears throat> back early on, starting in 2004, actually starting in 2002, we had people from New Hampshire and kind of the greater Manchester area in our church. We were meeting in Methuen at the time, and at one point had an, a large number of people from this area, um, and started to think, well, it doesn't make much sense to yeah. be trying to reach in the Methuen area and then the Haverhill area and having people up here. We needed to have a church plant up this way. So we started to pray and dream about things. And that was in, what year was that again? We probably started to get really serious about that in probably about 2006 or seven, maybe eight, okay. right around then. Yeah. Uh, especially when we moved from Methuen in 2009 right. to Haverhill. Gotcha. At that point, it's another 15 minutes further away. Um, yeah. And, and it just uh, didn't make sense. It made sense in some ways for people who were believers because and it, for them it's not as big a deal to travel a little right, further right. Uh, for the values and, and you know the, the, the fellowship and so forth. But for the mission, it really hurts. And we just yeah. realized you, just, you can't reach your neighbors and say to folks up this way, hey, why don't you come on down to Methuen or Haverhill? Come on. Pull your mic closer to you. There you go. <laughs> Each... Yeah, it's uh, and so then ten years later now we are Kings Cross Church here in Manchester because yeah. of that initial vision from you guys. Um, Exciting, and uh, it's yeah, been well, really cool. Part of that was was uh, bringing you along and uh, some other key families. Certainly, the O'Grady's were a big part of that. They were grateful for them because they came to us mm -hmm. in faith that in time God would help us plant a church up this way. They waited yeah. and made that long drive many a Sunday and probably many a, a weekday yeah. as well. So, grateful for them. Yeah, um, and I think in the background of all that is the cat. I, I'm not trying to make too much of a segue, but I, I do think in the background of that is the idea of leadership in terms of envisioning people for what God's doing. And stewarding the vision of God or the mission of God, and inspiring faith and vision for what that looks like. Which, in that case, in terms of our church plant, involved virtually eight to ten years of okay, guys, we're going to be faithful where we're at and what we can do, and then pull the trigger when God provides the opportunity to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so I think that that, that category of leadership is, is essential uh, for who we are and what we're doing, both as a local church and then as a denomination. But it, it's a bit of a murky category, because I don't know about you, but I feel like we talk about leadership, and historically Sovereign Grace churches have talked about leadership a good deal, um, but it can get a bit uh, unclear as to what exactly that means, because we can be talking about leadership at a political level, we can talk about leadership at a business level, nonprofit level, and all those those certainly helpful categories to think about leadership uh, actually are not exactly the same or even close to the same as what leadership looks like in a local church. Mm-hmm. So could you even just talk us through what is um, what does a category of leadership look like from a biblical standpoint? Mm. Yeah, that's a, an important question. And, and I think kind of the background to it is we import a lot of understanding of leadership from culture. Mm-hmm. And they're not wrong models. Um, they're not models that have no value. They, I mean, there's things to learn. But we tend to import a lot than we probably more than we realize from the culture, um, from history, from just, you know, the, all those great epic books we sure. read and things like that. And, and we have a picture of leadership from that that isn't necessarily biblical leadership. Um, and um, a lot of what the Bible teaches about leadership is implicit versus explicit. It does certainly get explicit um, in the particular commands for pastors. Right. We, we know fairly well what a pastor is supposed to be and do. And then we also know fairly well how a congregation is to relate to its pastors slash mm-hmm. elders. Um, the, and I, th- I think that's helpful, but you have to kind of look at the more implicit things to, to get a flavor for right. for all sorts of leadership, right. pastoring included. I don't think we can simply rely on the explicit passages for pastoral leadership. We need to look at, at the implicit. Um, but the general category of leadership, I think we, we need to look at the whole Bible, and we need to be careful to not import stuff from the culture. We can learn from the culture, but not import, not to allow mm-hmm. that model to dominate and then get us to ignore the key things in Scripture. So it's... Uh, it's a challenging question um, to answer. It's a very important one, and, and I, I think we, uh, you know, have a lot of learning to do personally as well um, in that. But I, I think uh, it scripture is sufficient for this. Yep. It's an important thing. So, yep. um, I, I think there is a profound insight in the motif of the shepherd. So Tim Laniac mm-hmm. and. Uh, shepherds after my own heart, that right. biblical theology of, of really leadership. Yeah, I think that's a profound um, book and idea. <clears throat> and I think that as we look through, I think there's a thread throughout Scripture on that yeah. um, that, that we see. And I, and I think we can take a lot um, from that, you know, that metaphor um, of leadership. And, and it will be a corrective to some of the models that we import. Um, so I would... I would answer it in terms of what is a what is a biblical shepherd, in some right. ways, what does a ancient Near Eastern shepherd look like? Um, right, and a Near Eastern versus a European or a uh, British you know, right. British Isles shepherd. Because I found that um, we were talking about this recent or a few years ago, because I was reading a book on like the uh, autobiography of a shepherd, 
and he was from the Lakes District in Europe and England. Mm-hmm. And the the model of shepherding is fundamentally different mm-hmm. for them than it is for the Near Eastern. Yeah. Um, uh, so could you describe that difference? Yeah. So the Western Shepherd um, tends to drive the sheep and he sends out the dogs. Now right. he may care for the sheep and he may know his sheep well. Yeah. But he's not with the sheep and he drives them where he wants them to go and he uses uses dogs and that's right. all cool right i mean we we, we love watching that sure, yeah it's beautiful to watch movie, and babe you know yeah. <laughs> uh, it's cool but but uh, that's not ancient near eastern shepherding so uh in that culture the biblical culture um a shepherd lives with the sheep um and that thus jesus saying the sheep know his voice you know they know the voice of the shepherd because right. he's with them all the time he's amongst the sheep right um, and then you know you again you see it in, in John ten and, and so forth that um, the shepherd leads the sheep so the sheep follow the shepherd right because they know the shepherd they know it's their shepherd they know the shepherd's voice there's a mm-hmm. there's a trust factor there and there's a sense of of I'm with you and I'm leading now by example I'm not asking you to do things that, you know that I'm not doing right. I'm not driving you um, I am leading you but I'm with you. Yeah. I'm using my voice. I'm using our relationship to guide you to where mm-hmm. we need to go. And whether that's feeding the sheep, protecting the sheep, and so forth. Um, shepherd's still there to fight off the wolves and all those things, but but the, re- the relationship is fundamentally different. Yeah. So then, so that's not only the nature of what the core of the biblical leadership is, but then there's also a bit of an exercise of what leadership looks like that you were kind of touching on. So what the, the Near Eastern... Shepherd lived among, lived with, was familiar, obviously familiar with, and uh, did the same things effectively that the sheep were doing. I mean, apart from like eating grass, <laughs> you know, he doesn't get sheared every year. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. maybe he does. Huh? Yeah, uh, well, maybe he does. You know, he has he to take a shave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we do that. I just did it. <laughs> but then there's an exercise that you're touching on as well in terms of not only just kind of the 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 definition, but the exercise of leadership. And how does that, these, these are things that you and I have talked about, about what is the nature of leadership and how is it exercised? So can you talk through what does that mean for us as pastors, but then also the broad category of leadership? Yeah, I think in, you know, part of that model is, is a, a function and a, and a uh, understanding of the nature of leadership. That's a little different, you know, Western versus ancient or Eastern model. And this is where, you know, the culture kind of affects mm-hmm. us too. We tend to think of a leader as the the man you know uh, who's on a mission from God. He yeah. you know he has some sort of call, great call, and he's the bold, intrepid hero, right. who who you know who takes the hill or says to everybody, "Take the hill," um, and and um, and exerts his authority even you know, mm-hmm. um, and there are elements in that 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 are noble and and valid, but. But that's fundamentally different than this, what we're talking about with the yeah. shepherd. Um, so it, there's not a driving of the sheep. And there's, the, you know, the, the Western shepherd and ancient or Eastern shepherd, they both are shepherds. They both have authority over the sheep. Right. And, and so they're not just suggesting that the sheep ought to do something and right. doing nothing else. So there's an authority there. But the exercise of that authority is different. Um in that the the engineer Eastern Shepherd is by influenced by example with the sheep leading them. Follow me. We're going to a good yeah. place here. I'm going with you. We're going to go to a good place. 
Um, so would you say that there's a, in terms of difference, influence versus commanding? Um, it feels a bit of a negative, too negative a connotation. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think of the categories of influence and authority, and they're yeah. both valid. So it's just a matter of how they interact and how you use them. Um, so I just you know in the shepherd model, and I think in scripture in general, um, leaders are you know the, the model of a, of a godly and effective leader is he's not wielding his influence like quickly and fully. Right. Um, he's he's hesitating. So think of the Apostle Paul, right? Interacting mm-hmm. with the Corinthians. I mean, these are a bunch of sheep that are running everywhere. Right. And they're making a huge mess. Have you seen? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Have you seen this video going around on the, on the internet of of a sh- of, the, of a shepherd driving his? It's a in England yeah. leading his his sheep across a uh, a road, and a couple of them just start batter ramming him like they just start ramming oh, him over knock him down yeah yeah, yeah, and, then, on the road, yeah. and he's like he's like getting up and then they hit him again yeah yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> that's that, that's how sometimes that's, it is for yeah yeah that's corinthians right? yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah that's the corinthians and and so paul has he's he's an apostle i mean you know uh he's 11 plus one i mean capital mm-hmm. a apostle he's seen the risen jesus he can you know he can blind people with curses so i mean he's got some serious power yeah um and yet he he hesitates to wield that power. He wants to influence them. He right. wants to lead them. And so, I mean, Second Corinthians especially, sure. much of it is is his model of life and his example. Yeah. I live in weakness. I live in dependency. Um, you know, I'm a, I live as a servant. I First Corinthians, I give up my rights to serve others. So yeah. why is he doing all that? He's out in front of the sheep saying, guys, this is how we live in Jesus and follow right. me now. So he's he's... hesitant to exert the authority that he has Mm -hmm. where i think a more kind of western leadership thing is like you know i'm gonna i'm gonna you know uh you know kick butt and take take names later well it's interesting like even as like we've been planting um i've had folks they'll ask you know what's your vision for the church plant it's like well i have a i have values that drive us and certainly there's a, a model that we're trying to follow. Um, I Honestly, I kind of stumble because I'm, my answer is typically along the lines of, well, there's disciples that we're making, and it's the nature of who those disciples become and how God brings disciples together to join a mission mm-hmm. that then begins to define what is, quote, the vision of the church plant. The vision yeah. of the church plant is the influencing of those people to become better disciples in their neighborhoods and areas versus this like a if you were to kind of go with the western design mm-hmm. uh, style of shepherding um here's the vision of what the church plan is going to be and you're either on board or you're off yeah um it seems like the the tone becomes less about my vision as the church planner and more about who are the people that god's growing his disciples to be on his yep. mission yep yeah and i think a you know how Jesus models that. Now you have to be careful in translating that to regular discipleship because these are the twelve apostles he's working sure. with, and so you know we have to be careful in that. But there are lessons to learn. He's with them three years. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's showing them you know who he is first off, and um, but by he's modeling a life of faith, a prayer, mm-hmm. um, a life saturated with the Word, uh, the kingdom. In, in, in and through him, and then you know he's modeling for them what that looks like, um, and and that I think is just in line with what we see. That yeah. that so for discipleship for a church, I think we have to be when 
people come to us and you know, what's the vision for the church? Well, the vision for the church is to be like Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and I, as a pastor, am trying to follow Jesus yeah. and learn to be like him. And I and I invite you to come with us. Right. And we, as a whole church, are are looking to look like Jesus. Yeah. Um, and you know we don't have a special vision that you know that's unique. Right. Uh, that's been given to us on yeah. you know the white you know sitting up on top of Franconia Notch, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and God gives us some vision for what this is going to be. Yeah. Um, which I think is, I mean, the kind of a follow up question to this is, um, and we've kind of been touching a little bit on it importing uh, Western modes of leadership into uh, what does it mean to be a local pastor or a, a leader within a denomination. Or, um, and I noticed this a few years ago. Uh, articles from the Wall Street Journal started uh, aimed at CEOs and how to help them, you know, productivity and leadership management and all that stuff. But they started using shepherding language. <laughs> you are a shepherd as a CEO, which... Uh, I, I mean, the articles were totally fine, but it, to me, it was interesting that they were beginning to import mm. biblical language or language that was not clinical business language um, into the mode of what it means to be a CEO. And I think the reverse is the same as well. We've imported mm -hmm. CEO dynamics to what does it mean to be a leader. Um, is there anything there that you feel like, that you feel like we haven't covered or talked about in terms of what's the difference between what does it mean to be a CEO versus a pastor? Yeah, I think there's some differences, some significant differences that lead you to different approaches. Um, you know, so I think you there there are similarities, but you you when you have an organization whose mission is narrow, um, you know. By the nature of the organization, so right. you know um, McDonald's. You know right. your your job is to make sell lots of hamburgers, right? right? And and that's a particular mission, and that requires a particular type of leadership and a particular type of followership. So there are shepherd aspects to that, but it's not holistic. It's not organic. You're not making people that you know that live and act just like you know their original founder guy ron yeah he's from he's from manchester yeah that? what's his name i forget ronald ronald mcdonald <laughs> <laughs> no, no, i know it's not that it is ron i think but, um, so anyhow i think that because of that you know if you're the ceo of mcdonald's right your job is to say we you know we want to make the best hamburger you can get within a minute, you know, right. that, that's your mission statement, whatever. And so everything's geared that way. That's mm -hmm. different. In some ways, the bad guy, you know, I think the Western model can be appropriate to, in that. Sure. It should be appropriate. Like, you know, so we're, everything we do is tuned to that. And so we're not looking to take care of you in your whole life or to make you a, right. a whole it's mature a, person. We want you to work hard in your job. Of right. It's a one-trick pony leadership yeah. type yeah. of thing. So... To compare the two, you know, I think mm -hmm. we get into trouble. There may be things we can learn about, you know, clarity of vision, right? Yep. So I think we ought to be clear on our vision in church. But I think the clarity is to, you know, make disciples, make right. make people who are like Jesus, individually and corporately, um, you know, in the power of, of the gospel. Um, but that's a that's a big mission, and so the nature of leadership is, I think, properly different. Um, it, and uh, you know, that's I think part of why behind. Yeah, the biblical leadership model is it's much more example, influence, and so forth. Yeah, yeah, I think that influence language um, is helpful in kind of delineating some of the differences here. 
um, it's a life lived uh, as an example to influence um, the growth and godliness of the church. Um, Mm -hmm. And I wonder, as we kind of think about this um, from a denominational or sovereign grace level, um, there's certainly some historic dynamics that are different in terms of history of what leadership means for sovereign grace. Um, what, could you just touch on that a little bit in terms of like what is our history of leadership? Because it's a, it's a historical value that we've held up, and mm-hmm. I think rightly so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think our history, I think the history of the church, uh, God uses gifted individuals to bring change, good change, to create movements. Yeah. And that's how God works, uh, and that's appropriate. And so for us, that we have a history of, of gifted leaders uh, who have led us in, in well in many ways. Um, but we have to be careful that as we think about that, mm-hmm. we remember what we've been talking about, the biblical yeah. model, and we marry those two together. So uh, you know, we want people of, who are gifted mm-hmm. to, to have an influence right. on us. We want them to to provide a degree of leadership through influence. But we have to be careful that at the extra local level, we don't take what we understand explicitly of local pastors and mm-hmm. marry that onto the, the extra local guy right. and say that he, it's really just the same now extra locally. Can you define the extra, what extra local means real quick? Yeah, so beyond the local church. Yeah. So we have a, have a lot of clarity. So again, we were talking about the implicit model of shepherd and then the explicit things about a pastor mm-hmm. and the authority a pastor or elders have. That's all pretty clearly delineated in yeah. scripture. Extra locally, it's not. Right. And, and we would have you know, many churches that differ. Uh, in Sovereign Grace, we've not really defined how the extra local leadership works in terms of authority. Right. Um, and, and even some of the Im- implicit things, we're not totally clear on that either. Yeah. We've sought to do our best in our BCO currently, but... Mm-hmm. but uh, BCO, Book of Church Order. Book of Church Order, yes. Yeah. Um, but we have to be careful not to just to take what we understand about local elders and say, well, it's just the same now. He's a pastor of pastors. Right. And so it carries all the same things that a local elder would have. Because there's a, there's a good way of using that term pastor of pastors, of a guy who has stature, maturity, wisdom, uh, to be able to care for other pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe even to use that influence language, yes. influence yeah. them in godliness and leadership vision and missional effectiveness. Those are good connotations. Mm-hmm. The negative connotations that come to mind are um, a guy who commands other pastors. Mm-hmm. And that's not, at a local level, we don't want that for our right. lead pastor. That's not how we would envision that. And we don't want that at the extra local level, the above the union of churches level. Right, right. Yeah, there is a, a, I think there's, there's a variance of how we understand the interaction of authority and influence locally even. So I don't. I think the the Bible is clear on what sort of authority we have. Mm-hmm. It comes from Christ. Uh, we have authority. You know, there's there's the um, defining the church body, um, holding to being faithful to the word, mm-hmm. the gospel, those things. You know, that's our job. We must right. do those things. Uh, practicing church discipline. Those are the things right. we must do. Um, 
and we are responsible to give an account for the souls in the church. So there's there's you know an authority with that. There yep. must be an ability to to lead them in, in, with that. Um, <clears throat> so that's there, but but still the shepherd model needs to function. So we we don't just you know quickly wield that authority. Uh, yeah. We don't say, okay guys, so you know we're gonna we're gonna change the carpet in the sanctuary. We're gonna go to blue carpet. Mm-hmm. And if you disagree with me, you know we're gonna practice church discipline on you you know right. we don't do that right yeah um, and not that that would ever be a church discipline issue but um we you know so we're we're hesitant to do that we do it when we must do it right the rest of the time we're exercising influence mm-hmm. so i think there are choices so for us locally of yep. king of grace we have two family meetings a year and we present our budget we present major ministry initiatives, mm-hmm. not because we believe the congregation has authority over the elders, but because we believe we're a body and the elders appropriately lead through influencing the body towards those decisions. Right. Uh, and so we practice influence and mm-hmm. we're hesitant to wield our authority. Now, if we had to, we might wield our authority and say, well, we actually ultimately get to be the ones that decide on the budget, but we're not going to do that. I mean, right. that would only be if there was an issue of gospel fidelity right. uh, or something, you know, just blatantly counter-biblical that we would do that. Um, and, and so that the nature of church leadership influences how we practice that locally. Right. But guys would differ on how that mixture and how they would do that. Um, so I grant that, but, but I think we get into trouble when we, take the model and the things that are explicit pastorally and put that on extra local guys right because now we're saying they have an inherent authority and we tend to treat them as a pastor of pastors and and, and i think essentially we end up with treating them as a bishop uh, yeah as in a, an episcopal uh context uh but it's not yep. you know it, it, it that's not how we would understand the extra local role so talk me through what would you in terms of how we have agreed within sovereign grace in our book of church order how would you explain that extra local level of the regional assembly our regional leader and then how that interacts with the council of elders and yeah that body so we would understand as that the authority that christ has been has given the church to be seated locally and exercise through elders. I think that's a way to sum up what we all agree on. Right. <clears throat> now, there is a spectrum. Some of us are more congregational in our understanding. So seated locally, we understand. So for King of Grace is where we would be, and I think, King's and Cross. King's Cross, that you know the authority is seated in the whole church, uh, but then it's exercised through the elders. Right. Um, and and But then there's others who'd say, well, it's seated in the eldership itself, not the whole church. Right. Um, so in the more Presbyterian view, uh, but we're all we're pretty close actually. If you look at polity historically, because um, we believe we all believe it's seated locally mm-hmm. and then exercised through elders, and that's why I think we can cooperate together. So if the authority is exercised through elders, then in our union it must be exercised in partnership. So the Council of Elders really is the central authority in right. Southern Grace churches, and they're the ones who authorize whatever we might do in our partnership. Yeah. And then we, as local churches, um, decide to join in partnership with right. with Sovereign Grace churches. Uh, we don't the, have to do that. Right. We could the hope being that as a church joins that partnership of churches, their voice and influence is exercised among the council of elders that's right and then 
at the regional level among the regional assembly of elders mm -hmm. so that they are represented and um, an essential component of exercising what leadership means. Yes. Yeah. And so we would understand that you're never ceding authority beyond the local church, but you're exercising that authority for the good of your local church and the good of our cooperative mission. We believe right. that we're not independent in that sense. Um, and, and so, yes, we, so it's expressed through the council of elders and then the council of elders, uh, authorize certain extra local bodies yeah. to, to do things. Um, and, and what we have a regional as well, a regional, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. assembly of elders. So that happens on the regional level. And then there's a regional leader who's authorized by the regional assembly to, and then there are certain committees as well authorized to practice and lead us in elements of our right. partnership. And then that's done also centrally, you know, mm -hmm. with, with uh, the different committees, the leadership team being right. an important part of those committees. So I guess the, the interesting thing then to just to kind of pull out, because it is that what drives the, the desire to have a seat at the table isn't inherently a desire, like, that doesn't like jazz people up about joining <laughs> Sovereign Grace, like, oh, I've got mm -hmm. a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. I think what drives the desire to join Sovereign Grace is a common confession of faith mm -hmm. and a common organized church mission. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly there's other distinctives that come along with that, but that's what drives the desire to have a seat at the table. Um, whereas if you were to take the Western model in the past, what, what, what drives the desire to have a seat at the table is to be closer to the the big guy in the center. Yeah, yeah, I get to buy into the momentum behind that charismatic leader. Right. Yeah. And certainly we've seen in the last, I don't know, 10, 20 years, um, some of the fruits of that brainchild coming to bear. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you think about it. I mean, I, I could imagine that being in just about any movement, so it's not particular to Sovereign Grace. Um, mm -hmm. But it does seem that that is a different mode of thinking about a cooperative church churches uniting the church's mission rather than churches getting in the wake of somebody's movement. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think any of our historic leaders have sought celebrity status. I sure. think they've really sought to serve the Lord. Um, but by virtue of giftedness have become celebrities and the, the pitfall of mm -hmm. that is what we're talking about. You're, you know, you're, your followers are there to buy into the momentum you've created yeah rather than um you know as consciously perhaps buying into the values and the partnership the corporate right. aspect of it and a, a healthy movement has to move from uh kind of central leader driven mm -hmm. to value driven yeah and um, an idea of being confessional, I think it's really important. So yeah. you have to say, what are our values? It's not just a matter of how this particular original leader yeah. you know, articulates or embodies the values. It's actually, you need to be explicit. You need to write down those values and say, this is what we're about. Yeah. This is what we believe. And then a document like the Book of Church Order, this is the structures that enforce those things. And I think it's helpful just to say that this isn't like a, the, somehow in American DNA, this is something that we've always had. I, I can only imagine that it's it's a bit of the um, entrepreneurial, we're going to take the hill and defend it. That's mm -hmm. just a part of the nature of American identity. Because you have that, I mean, you have that as far back with, you know, the original founding fathers. You know, they, you know, 
these men that everybody revered and followed. You have that with, within the church as well, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, George Whitfield, for all the good things he did, um, including all the horrible things that he did, was mm-hmm. certainly oriented towards in this sort of, we want to get behind the momentum of this personality. Mm-hmm. It, and that's not diminishing the value that he played. Yeah, yeah it has its place, I think, in the beginning. Um, but but over time, it has to transition, uh, and it can't it can't be, you know, why you stay. It's kind of like locally too, right? So someone might come to your church because you preach well or something, you know. I they, preach really well. Yeah, that must. That's, I'm, I'm that, fantastic. That's the reason everybody is. I actually, at King's you Cross. can tell everybody. I give you preaching lessons once a week. <laughs> you know, so it's all right to come, but not okay to stay for that reason. Yeah, um, you know, you you come because wow, the, you know, you're attracted. Boy, this guy's effective, and God's used him in my life. But you stay because you realize, well, this is a whole body committed to these yeah. values. Yeah, it's um, it is this dynamic of we need to have a, a common confession of faith to say this is who we believe God to be. This is how we believe God has saved us. This is what God has called us to be as a church, and this is where God has sent us on mission. Mm-hmm. You know, cover those kind of big categories. Yes. Um, and uh, but it seems that in recent years we've had. So we have our in terms of sovereign grace, we have our seven shared values, um, which are a bit of kind of like a boilerplate of like core issues that we mm-hmm. hold out. But more centrally and. Um, uh, confessionally, we hold our statement of faith as it is right now, which is, you know, it's a, a beefed-up stair- uh, standard uh, statement of faith that we mm-hmm. have, and then we're working on, like, the steroid, yeah. ultra-powerlifting yeah. version of it. Yeah. yeah, so we're probably two or three years away from that mm-hmm. being finished. Uh, so we have that, but then along the way, I've, I've heard language of um, Sovereign Grace DNA, mm-hmm. which kind of strikes me... I. I'm not quite sure what that term means. And we could probably, it, even to reduce it to a local level, it's like, well, you have people who are members of the church, but then you've got the ultra members, which kind of is kind of mm-hmm. comes across mm-hmm. as this uh, mystical, you know, third heaven experience. Right, right. So is that something you've encountered? And what? how would you speak to that? Yeah, I think that idea of the DNA uh, can be helpful, can be unhelpful. Um and I think, you know, people use it as that it's kind of the code that's behind the, the, the organization, the body, you know, that there's, there's something about these guys. It's, it's built into who they are. And that concept's valid. But if you can't articulate it, then you shouldn't be trying to propagate it, you know, mm-hmm. um, because you're going to create all sorts of confusion um, and you're going to make mistakes. So you need to articulate what those values are. What is the DNA? Yeah. Um, what is the code? Um, and is it biblical? Well, um, and is it code? Because the, 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 the nasty side of it is, well, the DNA is really people who act and talk and think like Jacob. Yeah. Me. And people with shaved heads. Shaved heads. That's the, the DNA. And yeah. massive deadlifts. And, That's uh, right. <laughs> yeah. But people who think the, the DNA becomes... Almost as a bit of like a code word for uh, like patronage. Like, who are the people that I'm going to uh-huh. give? Yeah. I'm going to give a voice to. Yeah. Um, and they've got the permission to speak. Yeah. 
Uh, we can do that at the local level, certainly when things go really bad, but yeah. yep. it's a little bit more murky in how we do that at the denominational level. Um, yeah, no, it's true. I think there are lots of mistakes we can make with that. Um, we're, we're just not being explicit, and it it it's comes with, I think, the again a relational uh, personality-driven movement. Doesn't mean that 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 such a movement necessarily abuses. That. I don't mean that, but but that's I think they're more prone to yeah. having hidden DNA versus a confessional organization yeah. where this is who we are and and the reason you know you move towards the confessional side is is this issue and others mm-hmm. that that you you need to state what it is what and it, it, you're accountable at that point yeah. too and you're clear you protect yourself right um, from well like so for example like a dna point could be we want and this is historic for sovereign grace we want humble pastors you right. know, we want humble members of the church right that Obviously, it, that's not only a part of our uh, history as a, ch- as a family of churches. I think it's one of the, the, the defined moments of uh, grace in our family mm-hmm. churches. Mm-hmm. Um, but then how do you say, okay, that, I think that would be a healthy way of saying our, a part of our DNA as a church or a member or a pastor is humility. Yeah. So that's fine to say DNA. That's a... How do you translate that into a confessional expression? Because um, it's one thing to say, I want our elders and our church to be humble, but then it's another thing to articulate what does that mean and what does that look like? Mm-hmm. So that you remove the mystical, because the way the negative way that gets played out is, well, they're only humble if they do humility the way I do humility. Right. Yeah. I, I And I think... I mean, humility is really important, and I, I am grateful for that value uh, in Sovereign Grace, how it's been modeled and taught. Um, I think it's a necessary, necessary implication of getting the gospel, you know? Yeah. Um, and if a pastor is supposed to proclaim the gospel, he needs to model the gospel, so humility needs to be part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, Scripture is sufficient in that. I don't think we need to formulate um another category of humility outside so of scripture. like he confesses so and so many times or whatever like that type. <laughs> yeah or you know whatever it might be yeah so go to go to scripture you know right. and the things in scripture so the lord's servant must not quarrel mm-hmm. um you know you are to lead the flock by example not domineering those things yeah. are there so so what we need to do if that is part of the dna for us then we in our confession or somewhere, mm-hmm. we need to say, you know, these aspects of pastoring are important. Have the scriptures articulate right. what they mean and so mm-hmm. forth. But you know, uh, but but it's right there. You don't have to create something, you know, extra biblical. Yeah, um, that gets us into trouble. That that also gets us. Uh, it limits us missionally because right. because often we'll take those truths of humility we see in scripture we'll contextualize them in our current our culture and our personality yeah and then if we try to capture all of that and then go to a different culture and say this is what humility looks like they might be like what are you talking hey, about it's totally weird yeah yeah so hum- yeah humility you know means you dress a certain way you talk with a certain accent and so forth or whatever you know what right I mean? um, versus humility means what the scriptures say and now let's talk right. together how that looks in your life yeah you know, and, and in your particular context with who you are, um, there's a there's a, a brilliance in God's design of giving us Scripture, 
and then causing us all from our different personalities and cultures to yeah you know apply scripture right um and 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 to be careful not to take a practice of a principle and then just simply transfer it across mm-hmm. personality and culture so so it's it's the principles that confession we want to capture yes not and we have to be careful of how we phrase our principles so that they don't imply heavy-handedly practices mm-hmm. um like so for example uh david pickney from river of grace uh a principal practice dynamic is obviously we want to have worship in our services and we sing as a part of our worship services and mm-hmm. how we express that is going to be musical in one way or another uh the western model of how we think about even the idea of a worship leader um is um a person up front leading musically um and voice and instrument um, and providing some sort of direction forward for the worship. Uh, but he w- David Prickney was telling me about how he was in France, and the churches there, they worship with the music provided from the back of the congregation. Hmm. Um, and so certainly as a value, for example, of Sovereign Grace, we have a, a very long-standing, I mean, coterminous with the very inception of yeah. Sovereign Grace worship. But as we, Lord willing, plant churches in France, for example... The way that is going to be lived out is going to look different and feel different if we have too sh- too tight a hold on this kind of mystical DNA of sovereign grace. It could actually be a hindrance to the mission yeah. advancing in that context. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure that you could go down the line of yeah, other values, so lots of things like that. Yeah, that'd be weird to have the, at the back. I'd be I, it totally to, throws I'd be my to turn around. <laughs> I know. Everybody, turn around now. Look backwards. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's weird to me to think about what that would be like, but I've been in sh- other church contexts in uh, South America, for example, where you worship more in a circular pattern, yeah, rather than a very a strict stage and congregation. Right. We had something early on, a couple things early on in the, the New England context, and I mean we're from here, but we didn't immediately perceive this. One was um, the sharing mic at the front. Mm-hmm. Um, our experience in other Sovereign Grace churches is it faces forward. So you come forward to share, and yep. you look towards the stage with your back to the congregation. And somebody said to me early on, I was like, why is that guy got his back to us? Because you're talking to us. Yeah. You know? um, I don't know. <laughs> just how it's done. It's like yeah. a, a backhanded compliment or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I said, yeah, you're right. You ought to turn, you know, turn the person around. Um, and, and then um, another one was, uh, I'm kind of, shame to admit this one but um guests coming our experience in other churches was oh you you welcome guests you know publicly and so we would we, we said early on and who here is a guest just raise your hand oh so gosh. we can welcome you that was done all the time and in maryland it worked great uh but it horrifies you know, new englanders it's funny when i uh so the church we were part of before we moved up here we did that obviously and then we moved here and i've gotten acclimated i now would, i'm in new hampshire i i'm a new englander yeah. i i I think and live that way. Um, and now whenever I go and visit other churches where they have like the raise your hand thing, yeah. I internal, my first reaction is I'm never coming back. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. <laughs> that's how I respond to that. Yeah. I just, and I know that, that that's potentially a personality thing, yeah. but it's, it's a culture thing. It's kind of like, you know, in Maryland, maybe asking people, raise your hand now, tell us the most embarrassing story <laughs> you've ever had in your life. Just, you know, we just want to get to know you a little bit. Yeah. You know? First of all, as a New Englander, I'm trying to get at, in and out of church without anybody noticing, any of my friends in the neighborhood noticing that I'm going. Yeah. Now you're drawing attention to everybody that's there that I'm there. Yeah. I, yeah. So it doesn't work. Yeah. 
Um, but the, what's the principle, right? Hospitality. Hospital, yeah. And caring for people. But the practice is going to look real different in different contexts. Yeah. So, um, so should we have DNA for Sovereign Grace? Like who, uh, what a pastor is, what a church, Sovereign Grace church is? I think there's helpful markers there. Yes, I, I think there is a DNA of Sovereign Grace, but it needs to be stated. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have no other way to reproduce it and call us to account for it if it isn't explicit. Because even in talking about the whole leadership thing, um, as as churches walk through crisis together, for example, uh, it could very easily turn into the, this kind of implicit background of Sovereign Grace DNA is, well, if you disagree with a certain narrative or if you disagree with certain persons or whatever, then it becomes, well, you're not a true Sovereign Grace right. church or pastor. Right. Whereas, well, no, I, I bought into all the values that we've stated um, yeah. explicitly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think we have to be careful with that and, and be and be clear. Um, we, we get ourselves into trouble on many fronts, if yeah. not. So. so the DNA without it being... Uh, made explicit is going to be unhelpful. Yeah. Um, but thank God for genuine DNA. Yeah. So uh, as Sovereign Grace is growing, I'm just going to read my question here so I get it right. In some ways, um, in, a, in a bit of a heated situation, uh, how can we be, um, how can we be growing in this category of leadership uh, for us as a family of churches? Does that question make sense? How can we grow in, in just the practice or understanding of leadership? Or Yeah, and the, as, you know, let's just say that um, we're walking through a crisis in one way or another, and these implicit sort of values of leadership, be them biblical leadership versus pragmatic or mm-hmm. uh, business, um, those things are coming to the, to the, to the front. Yeah. Um, how do we walk through that? Yeah, yeah I think crises always expose weaknesses and often bring forth strengths. Yeah. It's just the nature of a crisis that, you know, you're testing something. Mm -hmm. And when you test something, you see what it's made of. You see where it's strong, you see where it's weak. And my own perspective on this current crisis that we're going through is is it's exposing um, some of our leadership understanding slash misunderstanding. So, um, the leadership team is working hard to provide leadership uh, yeah. amidst the current crisis. And what it's doing, though, as, as that's happening, they are operating on their understanding of what that looks like. When, and, and I don't know, I haven't sat down and talked at this level with any of the guys in the leadership team. But it certainly appears a cert- to be a certain model that's coming across, and, mm-hmm. and there's much good in that. But there's things that, at least for some of us, we're like, hmm, I'm not sure if we really would have understood the leadership team to, to be you know, called to do that sort of thing or operate with that level of a authority right. and so forth. So it's, it's exposing um, some weakness, I think, and, and uh, in the, that we haven't thought through and agreed right. through thoroughly on what extra local leadership is and isn't. Right. And certainly that's to not uh, imply like malicious intent on anybody's part. I think that it, it's much like my own experience with the church plan. It's just um, as challenging times have come up, come up it's oh i haven't yeah. really thought through 
this category. Yeah. Yeah, I would propose, I don't know, but I would propose that there are two ends of the spectrum within Sovereign Grace on the understanding of extra-local leadership. Again, we haven't stated it extensively enough, clearly enough, in the Book of Church Order. But I think on one extreme would be kind of a de facto uh, episcopacy, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Um, just that, you know, basically, well, these extra-local guys, they're just like local pastors. Take that, that uh, you know analogy and just bring it extra locally so we expect them to you know lead by influence and exercise authority as needed right. we're just going to defer to them so some of those things about you know supporting your leaders that are used you know, the mm-hmm. passages that are i believe explicitly for local elders are used now for right you know, extra very, local i get elders. very nervous when i hear that applied extra locally yeah yeah just i want to defer to them let them lead um and well that's really for and, pastors and just to to say that I wouldn't want people in our church to just defer to me because I'm the religious professional right. in the congregation. Right. Um, yeah, there's there's an appropriate interrelationship in the body, again, getting back to what we were talking about, um, that we want to build. Um, but you might have guys in their local churches that they would tend to be like, well, you know, unless it's really blatant, I just want you to be free to lead. You know, that that can work. I would prefer to, there to be more interaction yeah. for us, but, What's but the, then I'm that sorry. gets exported though extra locally. Yeah, and basically, unless you really mess up, I just want you to be free. But that's not, you know, that's taking that pastoral mm-hmm. role that's very clear and and putting it on, and that's where you yeah. get kind of the de facto episcopacy. Yeah, uh, that we're just deferring to these guys um, unless they really mess up. Well, and the I don't think that that doesn't uh, ultimately uh, that doesn't do any service to those guys because. The fact is they will mess up, and then it all rests to ride on them. Yeah. And that those guys are dear brothers, and I care for them deeply, and I don't want them to bear the burden of they totally you know, screwed up, and it's all their fault now. Right. Because yes. I've, I've not only thrown them into the arena, but then I'm also pelting them yeah. in the arena. Yeah. And so... Yeah. Yeah, I think that's important, and I would agree. <clears throat> I think part of it is our history of how we're related to extra-local leaders. You know, mm-hmm. we w- would have not that long ago uh, have understood these guys as uh, apostles, right? Um, lowercase a. Y- yeah, lowercase a, and and um, but st- even within that, there are different understandings of how authority and leadership were exercised. Just a, a small note for folks in the church, if you're listening to this, I did an interview with Phil Sasser a year ago where he talked through some of our history of that oh, category. Yeah. So just yeah. to, hey, plug, go listen Take to the old. that. Yeah. No, Phil would be one of the best guys to talk to on this. Yeah. Um, but that's our history. And <clears throat> with that is an implication of authority mm-hmm. and deference um, that would be appropriate for certainly capital A apostles. But again, even we can go back to first Corinthians. But I was going to say, even if we look at the yeah. capital A apostles, like, that's the thing I find. So the whole Jerusalem the whole Council. Jerusalem Council, right? Acts fifteen is exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Here we have um, all the capital A apostles, mm-hmm. you know, meeting who are well, living ones meeting, and um, they are they're taking a seat right beside all the other elders. Um, yes, arriving at a decision together. They aren't. So even that idea of, I mean. The only reason that we would maybe even mention the whole idea of the capital A apostle could basically we you know throw away around his weight, so you have Paul saying in effect, "I could do that, but right. I don't." Right. Um, and then every example of how they exercise leadership is yeah. influence alongside. Yeah. 
Yeah. So even when they do have that authority, they're they're deferring and then they're you know uh, deferring which to the, the council. Which I frankly just so goes to show that fishermen are probably more godly men than I am, because if <laughs> I had been a capital A apostle, yeah. I would have gotten my way. Why are we wasting yeah. our time? Just do what I say, guys. Yeah. You are all stupid. Yeah. Uh, I've got my name etched on I stones am. in heaven that That's build right. the foundation. So yeah. what's <laughs> yeah. third heaven? Yeah, you know, I, I, geez, I saw the resurrected saw Christ, the risen Christ. Right, yeah. right. Yep. Um, I was at the original Lord's Supper, guys. Yeah. We do this every week, yeah. but I was at the original. Yeah, God's <laughs> very word has been written through these hands here. Yeah, yeah. So. This mouth right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they don't do that. They, you know, it, it, um, Acts fifteen is is. Amazing, and then of course, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, just everything was First Peter. Uh, yeah, you see that. Um, but that part of our history, and, and I'm, I don't, I've never experienced heavy-handedness from any of our history. Yeah, leaders. and that's a, neither have I. Yeah. All of my experience has been a phenomenal. I'm grateful for the leadership and influence yeah. um, that has always been there. Yeah, but there has been an understanding historically of that this guy is a key leader and I'm going to defer to him. Right. And that gets imported into our current model. I, I believe to, with some. I, you know, so I, if that's, if that is what some are doing with importing, basically the local level of dynamics into the extra local dynamics, mm-hmm. it, at least personally, it seems that's the inappropriate category to translate into extra local leadership. The, the appropriate category is actually, frankly, just wisdom. There's not, um, I, I don't think it's appropriate to necessarily say at the local level, here's how things work, and then at the local level, it's just a larger context. Right. No, I think that's an error. Whereas I, I don't know what you would say, but my the 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 categories that I would go to would be proverbs, narrative examples, rather than explicit examples. Yeah. Well, I I have some thoughts on. Uh, I think yeah, the nature of how it's exercised would be done that way in the mm-hmm. whole the whole model of influence we use influence and example um, more than anything else right so that I think has to function so that I I would expect the extra local leaders to do that I mm-hmm. want them to do that um, and they're gonna serve us well by doing that mm-hmm. um, there are gonna be things that they need to be authorized to do as well though um, right and I and I think rather than that authority existing in the office of extra local leader it has to come from the elders as ex- given how we define it right, right. seated locally exercised by because elders. there is no there's no higher office and we say this point blank in the bco right. Right. there is no higher office than elders so there's not a de facto implicit elder plus yeah. you know an extra point yeah. so i think this is where i believe the bco is currently lacking um is that we need to clearly explicitly authorize them to do certain things and not authorize them to do other things we needed to, to delineate what we're authorizing them to do right and then what we're not authorizing them to do so it's clear to them right and and because i mean that's the nature of our partnership right so we locally are saying we're joining this partnership and we are authorizing the partnership to do these key things that are yep. for our corporate good um, and we're not buying into anything beyond that. Right. Um, you know, that the nature of our agreement has, it's delimited. Mm-hmm. Um, and thus, we need to delimit the nature and function of any extra local leader. Right. And that's not done adequately. Uh, and so we need to have a list of things we say they can and must or should do. 
and then things they can't do. Right. Um, and that needs to be clear. It's not been clear. And so I think what's happening this is that... This chapter 15 of the BCO, yeah. just to be sure. Yes. Be yep. clear. And what's happening is we're importing these models, that, and the, I didn't hit on the other end of the spectrum. So one end is the de facto episcopacy. The mm -hmm. other end is mere administration, that these right. guys are, are to do tasks, and that's it. And if, it's not, if, it, if they don't have a task to do, then don't do anything more than that. And I think we want more than that. Right. I think we want influence. We want example. Well, and at least as we have it set up, and I think it's good this way, is the chairs of the leadership team aren't just task-oriented categories. Right. Like, but like, make sure that the budget's getting done. Yeah. They're uh, initiative categories. Right. So they should be initiative. Mission, global church mission. You know, it's church planting, global missions, church care. Yeah. You know, theology, those are initiatives rather yeah. than just tasks. Yeah. yeah. So I think taking initiative and leading and innovation, but when it comes to implementing something that's not explicitly authorized, then there needs to be kind of going back, kind of the, you know, <clears throat> analogy of the family meeting. Mm -hmm. Again, uh, we have the authority actually locally just to do it, but we don't. They don't have the authority, but, but yeah. you come back to the family meeting and say, hey, here's something we want to do. We're not looking for a detailed line by line vote. We're looking for an endorsement. Do you believe this is what God's calling us to do corporately? And right. I, so I think when there's policies and procedures and new ventures, ministry-wise, uh, things that aren't clearly authorized, that you come back mm -hmm. to the council of elders and you get authorized. So yeah, um, best practices. Personally, I best think practices. I think should be authorized by the council of elders. Yeah. Um, or uh, this isn't. I've, I'm not saying this with any knowledge of anything, but like if we were to do in our global missions initiative say we want to partner extensively with this organization mm -hmm. that isn't something that the chair of the missions department effectively can just unilaterally say that has to right. be a vote by right. and in this case the the correlation is family meeting is equivalent to council of elders mm -hmm. how the difference being in a family manner we have non-binding votes and mm -hmm. at, at a local church and at the council of, of elders it, that is the binding vote. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. So the, the analogy breaks down because it's corporately, extra locally, we're more like a, a uh, traditional um, congregational model. Yeah. The, the authority actually resides in the congregation, not in the elders. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the elders only do what they're authorized to do. And so, so you, in that case, you have to have the family meeting, right? Yeah. Right. And, and that's, so that's really not that's not what we do locally, right. but at the extra local level. We're talking about council of elders. That's yeah, what we're doing. It's consistent with our understanding of. Policy. So in effect, it is, um, how what, seventy-two members of our council of elders right now. Um, it is a seventy-two member board of trustees, effectively. Yeah. It is, and I and I don't think you know that we all hear the classic stories of these business meetings in congregational churches where they're you know they're arguing over a line item in the budget and you know should the carpet be blue or green <laughs> and they're dividing over that. Right. We don't want that. We we want the expertise of the leadership team or the you know whatever committee it might be polity committee theology committee. We want that to be exercised. We we put those guys in that role to lead us. So uh, give us a whole proposal. Let us vote up right. and down on the whole thing. You know, we're, we're not looking to to um, micromanage and take over that right. leadership, but we do need to authorize that leadership. Right. We do that need to authorize that. Step. The final the final say is in the council of elders, yeah. not in the leadership team chair. Yeah, yeah. And I think in the best, uh, you know, 
traditional congregational models where they would understand the authority to reside in the congregation apart from the elders, that's how they do it. Um, yeah. You get, and when you don't do that, it gets bogged down. And, and I think it's, you've, you've uh, your understanding has, uh, has overwhelmed the office of elder in that case. You right. Know, and you, you end up with chaos. So you're saying that we need to clarify this dynamic within our book of church orders. It is right now. Yes, I think so. Do you have any, uh, recommended language for what that would look like? I think we need to go through the sections on, on the leadership team, and I think we should also do it with the other committees mm-hmm. and really think through these things of how we understand what the nature of our polity is and then what does it look like to, to operate you know, where we authorize them to do certain things. So there's confusion. Yeah. Uh, right now, uh, are, you know, is it about what we're told not to do or what we're told to do? So I think we need to do both. Yeah. And it needs to be clear. And then the the mechanisms of, of how we allow them to lead us in terms of when they've you know innovated and taken initiative and influenced us now they're ready to embody those things somehow mm-hmm. what does that mechanism look like you know right. coming with with best practices coming with a new ministry proposal they come to the council of elders and then we authorize that so that's not clear there's confusion and and kind of in that confusion, I really believe that they're trying to do their very best sure. and, and seeking to be faithful to the Book of Church Order. But again, this crisis, you know, kind of mm-hmm. is the testing time. We're realizing, whoa, wait a second, there's confusion right. here. And you have, you know, guys who have these different assumptions from the different poles of, you know, Episcopacy to administration um, struggling, you know, yep. and, and well, what's going on here is not what I expected. And, and so it's yep. better to, to, again, DNA, right? We want to be explicit. This is how we understand this to operate. And how would this, um, and maybe you've seen this at, at King of Grace, and this is where the folks of King's Cross can be learning from your congregation. Because uh, I can hear the the question of, like, why does this matter? Isn't this why denominations are such a, a bad rap anyways, and we should not be a part of a denomination? I can hear that question. Hmm. So to what extent, um, how should a member of a sovereign grace church, say my church, relate to this dynamic that we're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, well, I think it's the nature of any corporate body that yep. you have these things to think through. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think there's a fundamental question uh, behind that, like why do denominations? And I would say, well, why, why have a corporate body of any sort? because you're going to run into these problems, right? Mm-hmm. There's a give and take. You have to understand how we interact. We have to understand who gets to do what, who, who has authority, who doesn't. Yeah. And why do, we, why do we put up with that stuff? Well, because you're way better together, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, that, and on an individual level, right? I mean, um, you and I, our friendship, we're better in our friendship than if we didn't have our friendship. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, families are that way and local churches are that way. And um, and the whole body is yeah. that way, and so it, it particularly when we have a lot of agreement, it makes sense to come together. We're going to yeah. be way better together. So we have to put up with some of these dynamics, um, but we do that already in all the other contexts. Um, and the the possibility of what we can do together with a large body such as Sovereign Grace Churches is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, it's well worth the Yeah, effort. and I think that that's the, the point to hold out is, okay, yeah, this is going to happen anywhere. So if this is a biblical, if you hold this as a biblical value that churches should partner with other churches uh, for the sake of mission and church unity and church health, mm-hmm. 
uh, then you're going to deal with this anywhere. And if you jump ship whenever things get hard, actually that makes your 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 sense of mission about your own self-preservation rather than the right. advance of the gospel. Yeah. So yeah. there is a there's a revealing of what that says about eldership or pastors or churches when they leave and things get hard. Yep. Yeah. I think it's an apt analogy to look at a family. You know, we can just say, oh, boy, it's like my, my spouse can be so hard to deal with and it reveals my own sinfulness. I'm just, I just want out. Yeah. Like, well, the, 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 I know you would know this or agree with this, but the analogy to, of the church union is not the same as a marriage union, right? Right. The, co- right. Doubt- the depth of the covenant's not the same. Yeah. But the nature of the fact that we're coming together because there's there's mutual benefit and yeah, you know, glor- yeah. God gets glorified. There's all those things that analogy translates. Yeah, that translates. But the depth of the covenant, no, it's not. No, the same. and it wouldn't so. be like I would. Be, I would very strongly disagree when if it were to be like, well, we're married churches we're married together it's like right. no, we're, no not. we're not no. <laughs> because there could be issues that come up where you know what it's going to be better for us to part ways right right yeah it's it's in that sense it it's, doesn't apply um but just the nature of of there's a benefit to coming together and and, and it glorifies god that's why we do it so yeah so in a, a lesser way yeah locally in a church and in a, a family of churches um you know just think about the reality of that King's Cross is here because of the partnership. Oh yeah, you know? I mean we exist point blank uh, on bended knee forever and eternity. Amen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, and the same for King of Grace. Yeah, uh, and and the same for Covenant Fellowship and and Sovereign uh, Grace Church Maryland. We yeah. all came out of this partnership, um, and you know what we're hoping to do as well here in New England and, and yeah. you know around the globe. Um, it's it's. You know, part of the reason why we're doing this, it's worth it, and and uh, the care and accountability yeah. that comes all with that. Well, and I think even to kind of pull from that whole that DNA t- thing we were talking about is every church is always going to gravitate towards being a part of other churches. I think because right. the Holy Spirit draws and loves for churches to work together, mm-hmm. and to the extent that we can be explicit about what that means, um, and then have patience for the confusion that comes out of unclear aspects of that partnership um, we're better together yes um so i I guess that just kind of leads to what are you excited about with what's going on in sovereign grace Mm -hmm. um and then maybe one or two what are your concerns about where we're at right now yeah well what we're talking about you know our polity our book of church order and our confession of faith those things excite me because we're defining who we are and uh we're doing that in a way, we're, we've also organized ourselves regionally, and I think um, it just makes growth uh, much more possible, the rate of growth mm-hmm. um, much greater, because now people who are being adopted in know yeah. um, what we're about and what it means to be part of the partnership. And so the potential for that is great. It's happening um, you know, right now. There's some fantastic things happening in churches overseas, the Philippines, other countries. Um, because of this, yeah, um, and and I trust uh, locally w- within the states as well, uh, we'll see more and more of that. I think um, it also helps planting. You know, w- what is it we're planting? How do we do that? How do we do planting? I mean, yeah. I, I think we've notched it up quite a bit. Um, I, yeah, Ian McConnell's you know. work on church planting for Sovereign Grace. I, yeah, maybe I, I know that uh, people are seeing the effect of it, but the. Uh, robustness of yeah. how it, it's launching healthy 
church plants. Yeah. I am super excited about yeah. the future of that. Yeah, there behind our polity or in our polity is is this idea of of shared and distributed leadership appropriately shared and distributed, allowing people to operate in their strengths and yeah. to operate together. So that versus centralized leadership. Um, and that has allowed us just to do a lot and uh, to make a lot of progress. Um, and so in church planting and really all the other aspects mm-hmm. too, that the quality um, that we're getting and, yep. and, um, and the, you know, the, how uh, quickly we're able to plant now in it without lowering standards. Uh, yep. We're actually enforcing standards from, you know, from what I see. And that's exciting. Uh, and then thinking about doing that globally coming alongside the whole church with, with, you know, what God's doing in and through Sovereign Grace Churches and uh, fulfilling the Great Commission being part of that. Yeah. Th- those things are very exciting. Um, and just here in New England, our mission, um, New England is, you know, just about an unreached people group. Um, we're borderline on the 2%, though we don't have the history of being unreached. We have a history of being yeah. pretty extensively reached. But My understanding is that uh, actually, so... There is a technical definition of unreached people group where, mm-hmm. you know, like the forest of the Amazon or something like that, where there's one Christian in a thousand miles. But there's actually a missiologist are developing a term of basically former Christian contexts that now need. Mm-hmm. So that, I think that's where we would yeah. fall into. Yeah, the the former model has been 2%. Uh, they, they, missiologists believe you need 2% Christians in the culture to be have a viable church. So a church that can kind of uh, mm-hmm. propagate itself, it's healthy enough, mature enough. Um, but they also add that it has to be historically unreached. So, yeah. so that's why we don't technically qualify. But I think, yeah, we're in, we're in a post-Christian age, so we need to redefine that. Yeah. And New England would, would, would probably qualify or be close to it, depending on where you are. Uh, so the mission field here uh, is you know, needy, and there's a lot of great stuff going on. So yeah. I think, you know, with our partnership and, and what's going on in New England, very exciting um, to be a part of what God's doing here in New England. And I can't imagine doing it apart from uh, our, our family of churches. Yeah. So I'm excited about those things. And um, I'm excited about capturing these values in a way that Lord willing, will continue generation after generation after yeah. we're gone. So there still would be a healthiness and a fruitfulness as a result of of, of going through the hard work that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, I trust it will produce fruit. I look, you look historically at movements that turned into healthy, faithful denominations, and and they're spanning, you know, centuries. Yeah, that's exciting to think about that God would do that through mm-hmm. us, um, as as we follow their example. Yeah. The concerns I would have would be uh, some of the grown pains we're talking about. Yeah. That, that, you know, we need to walk through those things and we need to think carefully about them, biblically about them. And, and not to say we're not doing that, but, but when challenged with crises as we are, um, responding with, with just thoroughness, thoughtfulness, faith, um, you know, and working through things. I think we have to be careful not to import moral categories or impugn motives on some of these things you know like well if you think it's administration there's something wrong you know you're unbiblical in your leadership model or if you think it's episcopacy you know you're 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 wrong and rather than let's engage each other um, biblically and work through this and there and trust the lord together to give us a wise solution when i think even i yeah i i think that's a a critical moment we're at right now for us as a family of churches and Mm -hmm. that's 
I think it's historically just the way every movement goes when they hit that generation change mm-hmm. um, from the founders to the inheritors. Um, mm-hmm. That's going to happen, and it always happens. Mm-hmm. And I think we have the opportunity right now to be able to think through that carefully yeah, and um, hopefully be faithful to tr- the transition. Yeah, yeah. We've been given an amazing opportunity, and uh, I think a lot of credit goes to uh, C.J. Mahaney and you know our, our other historic leaders too, and how they've um, handled the transition, really sought to serve yeah. and to pass the baton, um, you know, and and it's it's a wonderful opportunity now to to take those things, those values, and um, and walk through these things and learn and grow and get better mm-hmm. together. So. Yeah, no, it's uh, I'm really excited, and I would share the same type of concerns for Sovereign Grace, but the. Uh, you know, it's um, it's a bit of like the way disagreements go. Of sometimes you can emphasize the five percent disagreement over the ninety-five percent agreement, mm-hmm. and I think that you know, in terms of sovereign grace, there's a high high bar of the things that I'm excited about, mm-hmm. and then there's these two or three critical issues that I think um, I'm concerned about, and concerned in the sense of, oh, do we leave or not? That's not the question. Mm-hmm. The question is, how do we lean into and help us as a family of churches grow mm-hmm. and uh, address these issues for maturity. Yeah. Yes. And, and you know, we have a, a, a polity already set up that allows us to work through solutions. The way, yeah. the way we're set up, it, it's, you know, lends itself to that, um, both regionally and the Council of Elders. And, and um, there's accountability. We have godly men in place who, though they may people may differ on these things, they are are eager to yeah. to be fi- you know to learn and to be faithful and to walk together. Mm-hmm. That makes a huge difference. Yeah, so, um, it's worth the effort, and I think uh, we're going to have some better wisdom on the other side of walking through these things. Yep, I agree. <laughs> listening to this podcast from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. If you'd like to know more about King's Cross, what God is doing here in Manchester and how he's using King's Cross to advance the gospel of Jesus, you can visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, King's Cross NH at all those various places. If you have enjoyed the music for this, Matt Litzinger, one of our worship leaders, you can find more about him at mattlitzingermusic.com Thank you.